part one of a wasted day this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. recording by carolyn a wasted day by richard harding davis part one when its turn came the private secretary somewhat apologetically laid the letter in front of the wisest man in wall street from mrs austin probation officer court of general sessions he explained wants a letter about spear he's been convicted of theft comes up for sentence tuesday spare repeated arnold thorndyke young fellow stenographer used to do your letters last summer going in and out on the train the great man nodded i remember what about him the habitual gloom of the private secretary was lightened by a grin went on the loose had with him about five hundred dollars belonging to the firm he's with isaacs and sons now shoe people on sixth avenue met a woman and woke up without the money the next morning he offered to make good but isaacs called in a policeman when they looked into it they found the boy had been drunk they tried to withdraw the charge but he'd been committed now the probation officer is trying to get the judge to suspend sentence a letter from you sir would it was evident the mind of the great man was elsewhere young men who drunk or sober spent the firm's money on women who disappeared before sunrise did not appeal to him another letter submitted that morning had come from his art agent in europe in florence he had discovered the correggio he had been sent to find it was undoubtedly genuine and he asked to be instructed by cable the price was forty thousand dollars with one eye closed and the other keenly regarding the inkstand mr thorndyke decided to pay the price and with the facility of long practice dismissed the correggio and snapped his mind back to the present spare had a letter from us when he left didn't he he asked what he has developed into since he left us he shrugged his shoulders the secretary withdrew the letter and slipped another in its place homer firth the landscape man he chanted wants permission to use blue flint on the new road with turf gutters and to plant silver firs each side says it will run to about five thousand dollars a mile no protested the great man firmly 
blue flint makes a country place look like a cemetery mine looks too much like a cemetery now landscape gardeners he exclaimed impatiently the only idea is to insult nature the place was better the day i bought it when it was running wild you could pick flowers all the way to the gates pleased that it should have recurred to him the great man smiled why spare he exclaimed always took in a bunch of them for his mother don't you remember we used to see him before breakfast wandering around the grounds picking flowers mr thorndyke nodded briskly i like his taking flowers to his mother he said it was to his mother suggested the secretary gloomily well he picked the flowers anyway laughed mr thorndyke he didn't pick our pockets and he had the run of the house in those days as far as we know he dictated he was satisfactory don't say more than that the secretary scribbled a mark with his pencil and the landscape man tell him commanded thorndyke i want a wood road suitable to a farm and to let the trees grow where god planted them as his car slid downtown on tuesday morning the mind of arnold thorndyke was occupied with such details of daily routine as the purchase of a railroad the japanese loan the new wing to his art gallery and an attack that morning in his own newspaper upon his pet trust but his busy mind was not too occupied to return the salutes of the traffic policemen who cleared the way for him or by some genius of memory to recall the fact that it was on this morning the young spare was to be sentenced for theft it was a charming morning the spring was at full tide and the air was sweet and clean mr thorndyke considered whimsically that to send a man to jail with the memory of such a morning clinging to him was adding a year to his sentence he regretted he had not given the probation officer a stronger letter he remembered the young man now and favourably a shy silent youth deft in work and at other times conscious and embarrassed but that on the part of a stenographer in the presence of the wisest man in wall street was not unnatural on occasions mr thorndyke had put even royalty frayed impecunious royalty on the lookout for a loan at its ease the hood of the car was down and the taste of the air warmed by the sun was grateful it was at this time a year before that young spare picked the spring flowers to take to his mother a year from now where would young spare be 
it was characteristic of the great man to act quickly so quickly that his friends declared he was a slave to impulse it was these same impulses leading so invariably to success that made his enemy call him the wisest man he leaned forward and touched the chauffeur's shoulder stop at the court of general sessions he commanded what he proposed to do would take but a few minutes a word a personal word from him to the district attorney or the judge would be enough he recalled that a sunday special had once calculated that the working time of arnold thorndyke brought him in two hundred dollars a minute at that rate keeping spare out of prison would cost a thousand dollars out of the sunshine mr thorndyke stepped into the gloom of an echoing rotunda shut in on every side hung by balconies lit many stories overhead by a dirty skylight the place was damp the air acrid with the smell of stale tobacco juice and foul with the presence of many unwashed humans a policeman chewing stolidly nodded toward an elevator shaft and other policemen nodded him further on to the office of the district attorney there arnold thorndyke breathed more freely he was again among his own people he could not help but appreciate the dramatic qualities of the situation that the richest man in wall street should appear in person to plead for a humble and weaker brother he knew he could not escape recognition his face was too well known but he trusted for the sake of spare the reporters would make no display of his visit with a deprecatory laugh he explained why he had come but the outburst of approbation he had anticipated did not follow the district attorney ran his finger briskly down a printed card henry spare he exclaimed that's your man part three judge fallon andrews is in that court he walked to the door of his private office andrews he called he introduced an alert broad-shouldered young man of years of much indiscretion and with a charming and inconsequent manner mr thorndyke is interested in henry spear coming up for sentence in part three this morning wants to speak for him take him over with you the district attorney shook hands quickly and retreated to his private office mr andrews took out a cigarette and as he crossed the floor lit it come with me he commanded 
somewhat puzzled slightly annoyed but enjoying withal the novelty of the environment and the curtness of his reception mr thorndyke followed he decided that in his ignorance he had wasted his own time and that of the prosecuting attorney he should at once have sent his card to the judge as he understood it mr andrews was now conducting him to that dignitary and in a moment he would be free to return to his own affairs which were the affairs of two continents but mr andrews led him to an office bare and small and offered him a chair and handed him a morning newspaper there were people waiting in the room strange people only like those mr thorndyke had seen on ferry-boats they leaned forward toward young mr andrews fawning their eyes wide with apprehension mr thorndyke refused the newspaper i thought i was going to see the judge he suggested court doesn't open for a few minutes yet said the assistant district attorney judge is always late anyway mr thorndyke suppressed an exclamation he wanted to protest but his clear mind showed him that there was nothing against which with reason he could protest he could not complain because these people were not apparently aware of the sacrifice he was making he had come among them to perform a kindly act he recognized that he must not stultify it by a show of irritation he had precipitated himself into a game of which he did not know the rules that was all next time he would know better next time he would send a clerk but he was not without a sense of humour and the situation as it now was forced upon him struck him as amusing he laughed good-naturedly and reached for the desk telephone may i use this he asked he spoke to the wall street office he explained he would be a few minutes late he directed what should be done if the market opened in a certain way he gave rapid orders on many different matters asked to have read to him a cablegram he expected from petersburg and one from vienna they answer each other was his final instruction it looks like peace mr andrews with genial patience had remained silent now he turned upon his visitors a levantine burly unshaven and soiled towered truculently above him young mr andrews with his swivel chair tilted back his hands clasped behind his head his cigarette hanging from his lips regarded the man dispassionately you got a hell of a nerve to come and see me he commented cheerfully to mr thorndyke the form of greeting was novel 
so greatly did it differ from the procedure of his own office that he listened with interest was it you demanded young andrews in a puzzled tone or your brother who tried to knife me mr thorndyke unaccustomed to cross the pavement to his office unless escorted by bank messengers and plain-clothes men felt the room growing rapidly smaller the figure of the truculent greek loomed to heroic proportions the hand of the banker went vaguely to his chin and from there fell to his pearl pin which he hastily covered get out said young andrews and don't show your face here the door slammed upon the flying greek young andrews swung his swivel chair so that over his shoulder he could see mr thorndyke i don't like his face he explained a kindly-eyed sad woman with a basket on her knee smiled upon andrews with the familiarity of an old acquaintance is that woman going to get a divorce from my son she asked now that he's in trouble now that he's in sing sing corrected mr andrews i hope so she deserves it that son of yours mrs bernard he declared emphatically is no good the brutality shocked mr thorndyke for the woman he felt a thrill of sympathy but at once saw that it was superfluous from the secure and lofty heights of motherhood mrs bernard smiled down upon the assistant district attorney as upon a naughty child she did not even deign a protest she continued merely to smile the smile reminded thorndyke of the smile on the face of a mother in a painting by murillo he had lately presented to the chapel in the college he had given to his native town that son of yours repeated young andrews is a leech he's robbed you robbed his wife best thing i ever did for you was to send him up the river the mother smiled upon him beseechingly could you give me a pass she said young andrews flung up his hands and appealed to thorndyke isn't that just like a mother he protested that son of hers has broken her heart tramped on her cheated her hasn't left her a cent and she comes to me for a pass so she can kiss him through the bars and i'll bet she's got a cake for him in that basket the mother laughed happily she knew now she would get the pass mothers explained mr andrews from the depth of his wisdom 
are all like that your mother my mother if you went to jail your mother would be just like that mr thorndyke bowed his head politely he had never considered going to jail or whether if he did his mother would bring him cake in a basket apparently there were many aspects and accidents of life not included in his experience young andrews sprang to his feet and with the force of a hose flushing a gutter swept his soiled visitors into the hall come on he called to the wisest man the court is open End of part one